Today on Standing on the Word. It's a perfect illustration of Hebrews. He could have closed this passage with Judas, with Israel in the wilderness, with Cain in the garden. The Bible's full of these people that were so close and they missed out on it. They had it in their hands and they missed out on it. But here he uses Esau. Esau hadn't obtained it, but it would have been his if only he valued, if only he valued the things of God more than the things of this world. But he valued a meal over God's blessing. Oh, how heartbreaking. And it applies to the Hebrews and it applies to us. You're listening to Standing in the Gap, standing for truth in a fallen world. Welcome to Standing in the Gap, Standing on the Word, a verse-by-verse study of the Bible and the powerful truths that are revealed throughout God's Holy Word. I'm your host, Mike Cross. Today we'll hear from Josh Tompkins from his series on the warnings from the book of Hebrews. And as we listen to the final warning from his sermon titled, The Danger of Missing Out, here's Josh. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. That's where we'll be spending our time this morning. I loved it. I was sitting down there getting ready to come up here and all of a sudden it got completely silent in here. And I thought, "That's everybody's ready. Ready for some preaching this morning. I, I hope you are, because right, we're going to look this morning at our last warning in Hebrews. We've been going through these as they're stationed throughout the book of Hebrews. There's these warnings, warning passages, five total, and we have studied four so far. And this last one here, as, as you see, it will be the last because it's coming up to one of the, the last chapters, only 13 chapters in Hebrews. This last one is the best one, if, if you ask my opinion of it, because it's the strongest of the warnings. And you know, as you get closer to the point where you're almost done, uh, warning somebody, the, the warnings are going to get stronger and stronger and stronger. I compare it to if you're going to try to stop somebody from going down the road and the bridge is out, at the, if you're a mile out, the warnings are going to be like, hey, 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 the bridge is out, right? You're just going to kind of want to stop them a mile out. And then as you get closer to the, to the point where the car is going to go off the, the bridge, the very last one is going to be the strongest. You are this close to going off the bridge. You are about to die. So you're going to be screaming. You're going to be hollering. You're going to be doing everything in your power to make sure that that car stops, that they get the warning, that they heed the warning. And that's what this is going on in Hebrews as they've just been building stronger and stronger as we've been going through these. And if you think the last one was strong, just wait till you get to this one. This is a strong warning. And it's his last chance with this audience that he's trying to reach to warn them, to urge them, to, to hold up the warning sign one last time. And that's what I'm going to do for you today. I want to hold up the warning sign one last time, trying to urge you not to miss out on the great blessing that is the salvation that is in Jesus Christ. And that's what we're going to do today. I titled this sermon, The Danger of Missing Out. And none of us want to miss out on anything in life, but the number one thing you do not want to miss out on in life and in eternity is the grace of God and the offer of salvation in Jesus Christ. So you do not want to miss out on that. That's the, the warning sign. I, I could have done that. The old me probably would have done that. Brought in different signs. Holding up. Warning, warning. And that's what this is today. A warning. Don't miss out on salvation. So let's stand together and let's read this passage. I'm going to read to you verses 12 through 17. As we look at the danger of missing out, we're only going to study verses 15 through 17. So it should be a very short sermon, right? Uh, but I'm going to read the whole section there. It starts in verse 12. Uh, but I want to look at the warning the heart is in those last three verses we'll be looking at. So starting there in verse 12, you see the word, and we've seen that in every one of these warnings. It starts with wherefore. Because of what we've just taught you, here's what you need to pay attention to. Verse 12, wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for, for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men. And holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. And here's our focus today. Look at verse 15. Looking diligently, lest any man fall or fail of the grace of God. Lest any man fail of the grace of God. Lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person, as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. For ye know how that afterward, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place of repentance, though he sought it carefully with tears. What a sobering, bone-chilling warning here today. Let's pray together and we'll study this passage on missing out. Father, we bow before you and before, this, before your word. And we understand that this is the truth. These are your words and not ours. 
And God, I, I want you to speak through this passage and not me. I don't want it to be about my opinion. I want it to be about what your word says. And God, I pray that you'd help me to do that. Help me to be clear. Help me to, to speak these words with truth and with power and with fervency. And I pray, God, not only that I would preach them well, that you would help me and enable me, but that the people in the pews would receive it well. That you would keep their attention, that our minds would be solely focused upon you, and that you would, God, through this, accomplish exactly what you've set it out to do. That we would not only hear this warning today, God, it's good to hear it, but it's even better to heed it. So help us, God, to do that, to obey what it says. So God, bless this time, please, as we study your word, help us. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I'm going to start out with a story. I usually don't do this, but today's a special day for me, so I'm going to start out with a story. It was 21 years ago today that me and my wife, Steph, began dating. 21 years ago today. That's a long time that Steph has had to put up with me. Uh, but it was it, it, the thing is, 21 years ago today, I had to, and, and I was very nervous about it. Some of you guys don't understand how nervous somebody like me can be. I was a shy kid. I'm shy now, if you can believe that. But I was very shy then. I was young then. I was just a little teenager then. And, and that evening, it was an evening, uh, evening time, I, I, I knew what I was going to do. I was going to call Steph, and I was going to ask her. Some of you all don't understand how big a deal this is, but it was a big deal at that time. I mean, me, I was a, a young little teenager. I had the, the smallest little mustache that I was so proud of. I mean, it was just... <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just a few little hairs, you know, I thought it was the greatest thing ever, you know, I thought, but anyway, I was just, and then I was going to be calling what I, I thought at the time, and I still believe to this day, is the most beautiful girl in the world. So I had to pick up a phone. It wasn't a text. It wasn't a, you know, get out your iPhone and, and call her phone. No, you had to pick up a phone. You had to dial her home number and pray with all your might that her dad didn't answer the phone. You just didn't want to do that. I, I would even pray that her sister, Amanda, didn't answer the phone because they sounded just alike on the phone. And I didn't want to ask her you know, young sister to go out with me. Uh, but anyway, so I, I had to get up the nerve. You know, It was very nerve-wracking. It was hard. It was difficult. And I picked up the phone, and I dialed her number, and she answered. And, and I, I know my voice was trembling. I know that, it was, that she didn't know what was going on. It's telling what kind of uh, conversation I started with her. But in the midst of that conversation, I asked her to be my girlfriend. And the rest is just beautiful, glorious history, right? That's just, we've been, we, we, never, we were together 21 years now today. And I tell you this story because it goes along with this, with this passage in, in a way because I am so glad that she said yes. I'm so glad that I called. I'm so glad because I was sitting there battling back and forth. Do I really want to risk being turned down? I mean, nobody wants to be turned down. Do I, do I really want to take this risk and call her and ask her to be my girlfriend? Now, back then, that was a big deal. You know, we were going steady, you know. Uh, we wasn't going to see anybody else. It was a big deal. And, and I'm glad I did because I, if I had not called and if I had not asked, then we wouldn't be here today. I would have missed out on what is the, the one of the greatest things in my life. She is my helpmate. She is my wife. She is my best friend. She is everything to me. She is second only to the Lord Jesus Christ in my life. And if I hadn't called her on that day, I would have missed out on one of the greatest blessings in my life. I am so glad, and I think she is too. <laughs> now, don't, don't look over there. You know, that I didn't miss out on calling her and asking her to be mine. I'm glad I didn't miss out on that chance. I'm glad I didn't miss out on that blessing. And our life is full of those chances and those opportunities that you do not want to miss out on. It can be from the smallest things in our life, like Friday morning when everybody goes and they don't want to miss out on a sale at Walmart. they got to get that $5 toaster, you know. I don't want to miss out on that. You know, we got to be there. Somebody might get it before I do. I don't want to miss out on that. It can be the smallest things. I don't want to miss out on a sale. I don't want to miss out on, on, a, on a spouse. I don't want to miss out on, the, you know, you hear that story all the time, but the, the one who got away. I missed out on this girl or, or this guy. I don't want to miss out on anything. Thanksgiving Day, you don't want to miss out on, on the meal. You want to get there on time, and, and you want to be the first one in line because you don't want to miss out on the good stuff. 
You don't want to miss out. We don't want to miss out on, on anything. But all those things pale in comparison to what we're going to talk about today. Those things are small. Even the, the spouse is, is small in comparison to missing out on the salvation that Jesus Christ has for us. We do not want to miss out on the great blessing of the grace of God in the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can miss out on everything this world has to offer, but do not miss out on eternal life. That's what this whole passage is about. That's what all of Hebrews is about. He is so scared, this author, that they are going to miss out, not on a spouse, not on a deal on a $5 toaster, but on Jesus Christ. We do not. I want you to get this. I am scared deep down in my bones for you guys here today. I don't want you to miss out on Jesus. I said it last week and I'll say it again. He is the greatest person. He is the greatest thing in the history of the world. And I do not want you to miss out on Him. I don't want you to miss out on Him. I don't want the world to miss out on Him. That's what drives us. That's what keeps us going. That's what makes me want to preach these messages. That's what makes me want to hold up these warnings. Do not miss out on Jesus. You can miss out on everything. And people today are trading everything. They'd rather have everything in the world but Jesus. You do not want to miss out on Him. That's what's going on in this, in this passage in Hebrews. These Hebrew Christians are running the race. The race of faith. You see it in this, in the whole passage of Hebrews 12. They've entered the race. It's gotten hard. Watch this with me. This is great. Imagine with me a weary runner who's been running the race so hard and so fast, and now they're getting very weak and they're getting very tired and, and they're injured and they're weary. And now, Hebrews 12, they are tempted to stop the race. That's what a Christian life is. It's a running a race, a long marathon race. And these Hebrew Christians are tempted to quit and to throw in the towel. It's gotten so hard for them their life is at risk. Their jobs are being lost. They're being persecuted. And they are thinking, I'm going to throw in the towel and quit. I'm going to give up on Jesus and go back to my old way of life. And the author here is going to tell us, if you do that, you miss out on the best part of the race. If you're going to run a race, you're going to run it, Say you're running three miles and you're going to stop at two and a half miles right before you get to the finish line. You miss out on the best part of the race, the finish. And that's what he's saying here as he, as he goes through this. Well, I mean, there's, there's race terminology all through this. Well, let me just read a couple verses for you because he's motivating them and encouraging them. Don't give up. Don't stop. Don't, don't miss out on the finish line. Don't miss out on the, the blessing. Don't miss out on the reward. Don't, don't miss out. Watch what he says. I just want to read a couple of verses to you. But he says in verse 1, Wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside all the weight and the sin that's going to hold us back, that's going to beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Verse 2, he says, and here's the, I mean, here's the motivation. Here's what keeps you going. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, he despised the shame, and he's now seated at the right hand of the throne of God on high. Consider him who, who was, was, uh, had a much harder time than we did. He endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and lose your faith. Don't let up. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep running. You don't want to miss out on the end. He goes on to say, you've not resisted under the blood. You've not, you're not dying. You're, 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 it's not. Keep running. Verse 12, Wherefore, lift up your hands and, and, that are hanging down and your feeble knees that are about to give out and make straight paths for your feet, lest which any of you become lame and fall out of the way. Keep on running. Keep on going. Don't miss out on the end. Don't miss out on the best part. Don't miss out on Jesus. Don't throw in the towel. Don't give up. Don't quit. you got to cross the finish line because if you don't, if you give up, you will miss out on the greatest blessing in life. Don't give up. Don't stop. Keep enduring. Keep persevering. Paul said it in 2 Timothy 4 that he said, I love this part. He said, the race is over and I have kept the faith. I've finished. It was so hard for Paul. And at the end of the race, all he had to say was, I kept the faith. 
I kept on going. I never gave up. I kept my eyes on Jesus all the way. And that's the message to you today. Keep running the race. Keep fighting. Keep running. Keep pushing. Keep going. Keep persevering. Don't give up. No matter how hard it gets. But if you do, here's the warning. If you do, if you stop, if you don't cross the finish line, if you give up, if you go out the door, here's what's going to happen to you. You will miss out. And you will regret it. That's the message of this passage. If you stop, you will miss out and you will regret it. Again, if you stop and you miss out on Jesus, you will regret it. So let's look at this passage. I'm going to give you just in those 15 through 17, I'll give you three headings here as we look at this, the danger of missing out. Starting in verse 15. You see there the, the concern of missing out. You do not. This is the greatest concern of your life. You do not want to miss out on Jesus. I want you to grab that. You do not want to miss out on Jesus. He says here, looking diligently. You see that, Pat? You see that in verse 15? I want you to see it. Looking diligently. This is a careful concern that he has here. He wants us to be concerned about this. He wants us to, to, to that our greatest concern in life would be that we do not miss out on Jesus. You see that looking diligently, that, that word in, in, in looking diligently is, is a word for in the Greek, episcopeo. I think you can kind of get where that's, that's going. It's a word that means elder or pastor of a church. He wants us to watch over ourselves like a pastor watches over a church. Pastor your own soul. Be so careful and so cautious with what you're doing that you are watching over, looking diligently with care to guard yourself, to oversee yourself, to keep a watchful eye out on yourself. He wants you to look at yourself. He wants you to guard yourself, to be on your toes, to pay attention to yourself. Look diligently at yourself. Watch over your own soul with strict attention. Keep your eyes open and, and peeled with diligence and vigilance. Watch over your soul. Watch over yourself. He wants you to see your own self. For what? What are we watching for? Watch this. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. The critical concern here, the main idea here, is watch out for falling short of the grace of God. To miss out on, to lack, to be without the grace of God. To be destitute of God's saving grace. That's what he's saying here. Watch out for. I'm going to put those two things together now. We saw looking diligently is to guard yourself and to fall short is to be without the grace of God. That's, that's what we have to... We, we don't want to be without. We don't want to be destitute of the grace of God. We want to make sure we have the grace of God. Watch yourself. Guard yourself. Make sure you have the grace of God in your life. You say, what's the grace of God? It's God's divine, divine favor. It's God's blessing. It's God's undeserved gift. We deserve hell and wrath and damnation, but God by His grace offers to us salvation and forgiveness and love and mercy. He offers us all the riches and the, and the blessings of heaven. He offers us favor and not the fires of hell. We deserve all those things, but God by His grace is handing out. That's what it is. It's an undeserved gift. He wants us to be sure that you don't miss out on God's gift to you. God is offering you a gift, a gracious gift, one you don't deserve with hands wide open saying, here you can have it. And he says, be sure you don't miss out on that gift. Don't miss out on it. He's offering it to you. Guard yourself. Watch yourself. Keep your eyes open. Make sure you have this gift of grace. Grace is what brings us to Christ. Grace is what gives us Christ. Grace is the divine favor of God. Make sure you have this gift of God. It ought to be the number one concern in our life. That verse 15, watching out for that you miss out on the grace of God. You don't want to leave this world having missed out on the gift of God. Don't miss out on it. Don't fall short of it. Make sure you have it. Should be. And that word concern, I'll use it for this point, is not strong enough. It's saying don't be careless, don't ignore, don't neglect. Do not miss out on God's grace. 
2 Peter 1.10 says, Give due diligence to make your calling and election sure. Make sure you have it. 2 Corinthians 13.15 says, Examine yourselves, whether you be in the faith. Prove your own selves. Know you not your own selves, how that Jesus Christ is in you, unless you fail the test. Make sure you have this gift. You do not want to fall short of this gift. You do not want to miss out on this gift. If God, by His grace, is offering us His Son, Jesus Christ, eternal life and forgiveness of sin, if He's offering it to us, make sure you don't miss it. I'll say this. That's the number one concern in my life. It ought to be the number one concern in your life. Not only for yourselves, but for all those that are around us. It ought to be, and it is for me, the number one concern in my kids' life that they don't miss out on the grace of God. That's more important to me than anything else my kids will do with their life. If my kids can do everything in the world and has everything in the world, but at the end of their life they miss out on the grace of God, they have missed out on everything. I need to make due diligence. I need to, it says here, looking diligently. I need to not only watch out for my own soul that I have it, but I need to be watching out for the souls of my children that they have the grace of God. That they have that gift. That I'm constantly letting them know, here it is. You don't want to miss this. You, mean, you can dunk a basketball and you can have all the money in the world, but if you miss this, you've missed it all. You've failed at life. I could have had Steph, married Steph, Spent my life with Steph, and it would have been a great blessing. But if I miss out on Jesus and the grace of God, my life is wasted. For our children, even for you. Why do you think I'm preaching these sermons? Because I don't want you to miss out on the grace of God. And there are so many that are missing out. Family, friends, children. We want everyone to trust in God's grace as their only hope of heaven. Make sure today, we could stop right now. Make sure today that you aren't missing out on the grace of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. He offers you, that's what grace is. I love that word grace. Undeserved gift. He offers you the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. Make sure you're not missing out on that. You say, how do we make sure? That's the second point. That's the concern. It's the concern of the author. It's the concern for the people in the pews. It's the concern of, of my heart. Make sure we don't miss out on the grace of God. This is the one thing in life you don't want to miss out on. That's the concern here. And I, I can't get past it. There's so many that are missing out. There's people in here in this room today that are missing out on the grace of God. And the free offer of salvation through Jesus Christ. And why are they missing out? Because they've fallen into one of these cautions. Point number two. We saw the concern of missing out. You need to be concerned about it. And here's what you need to, to watch out for, the caution of missing out. These are warning signs that are in our lives saying you don't want to go this direction. If we're running a race of life, of the Christian life, there's going to be things in our life that are going to try to pull us in, in the wrong direction and make us go away and to stop the race and to give up and to throw in the towel. Here's the caution. Here's these signs that I mentioned. Don't go this way. Here's what you watch out for. Watch this. Here's the caution. Here's what to watch for. Number one, you watch for, I'm going to give you two. You watch for the root. And you watch for the fruit. You with me here? Watch this. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God. Lest any, you see this, root of bitterness springing up trouble you, and thereby many be defiled. That word root, and this is a quote from Deuteronomy 29.18, and here's what the verse says. Lest there should be among you man or woman or family or tribe whose heart turns away this day from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of these nations. Lest there be among you a root that beareth gall and wormwood. That verse there is talking about, here's the root. Watch out for your heart. If we're going to watch over our souls and make sure that we do not miss out on the grace of God, the first place you look is inside. We must guard our hearts. The heart is the root problem. It's the unseen. It's the deep, 
deep down inside of who we really are. I can't see yours. I don't know what your heart is like. You know what a root of a tree is? Most of us don't see a root until it's uprooted. It's underneath the ground. It's, it's underneath the dirt. You can't see it. You don't. You know it's there, but you have no idea if the roots are healthy or the roots are rotten. You don't know what's underneath there. It's the same thing with our hearts. This is where it all starts. If the heart is wrong, everything else will be wrong. So we have to make sure. It doesn't matter if a tree. It can look great on the outside, but the roots down deep are bad. That tree is going to be bad. So we have to guard ourselves. If you want to make sure you don't miss out on the grace of God, you better check your heart. We all need to check our own hearts here today. You need to have an examination of the heart. Look deep down inside you and see if you truly believe and have a changed heart. Get down deep where nobody can see, where nobody knows but you and God, and check your heart. Down here in the heart is who you are. It's the real you. It's the real me. Check your hearts. This is where most people don't look. They like to look on the facade on the outside. The Bible says that man looks on the outside, but where does God look? At the heart. And there are so many people that can put on a facade. They can be a hypocrite. They can look one way in church, but deep down, where are their hearts? We guard our hearts. We check our hearts. If we turn away from God, if we turn down grace, it's because our hearts are wrong. If you want to make sure you don't miss out on the grace of God, check your heart. Your heart turns before anything else does. Again, we can't see the root. We don't, I can't see your heart. You can't see mine. Sometimes I don't even know my own heart. The Bible says the heart, people say, follow your heart. I say, don't follow your heart. It's deceitfully wicked. Check your heart. And what are we checking for in our heart? Watch this. This is good. Here's the fruit. If that's the root, here's what, here's what, here, here's the fruit of the tree. If the root's bad, here's the fruit. Watch this. The first thing that's going to be wrong with your heart is going to be root of bitterness springing up, coming out. You better watch your heart that there's no bitterness to it. That there's no foulness to it. He's talking to some professors of faith or some Christians who their circumstances, their trials, their troubles have caused them maybe to have a bitter heart. This is so, so good. If something bad happens in your life and you get angry and bitter in your heart. I had a bad circumstance. I had a bad time. God didn't give me what I deserve. Be careful when you say that. Deep down in their heart, begins to swell up some bitterness and some anger. And you get bitter towards God. You get bitter towards the church. You get bitter towards other Christians. And a bitter heart is going to walk away from the Lord Jesus Christ. So watch yourselves. And here, here it's something that you can watch for. Something that you can keep an eye on. It shows itself in this way. And let me give you a couple of applications here to check your own heart. You, if your heart is bitter, it's a critical heart. If your heart is bitter, it's a mean heart. I've been around growing up in church and we'd walk in and there was some mean, harsh people in church. I've been around here where kids, my kids will go running and people look, no, 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 I don't think none of you. Guard yourself, y'all. They look at you, keep your kids in line. This ain't no place for running. Mean. My kids look at him like, whoa, where'd the Grinch come from? <laughs> They've been in church so long, been through so much, that their hearts have just become bitter and mean and angry and cynical and critical and sarcastic. And just life has treated them so bad that now they show up, but they are so mean deep down. your heart starts to become bitter, it's the first step walking away from Christ. So guard yourselves. This is guard your heart from becoming bitter towards God, towards His Word, and towards the church. I've seen it in pastor's kids. I want to I hurry. I've seen pastor's kids grow up, and I guard my kids from it all the time. This is getting personal here. Because I grew up around pastors. I grew up in churches. I, I'm around it. I see it. And I've seen pastor's kids. They call them PKs. It's a term that they give them. And then I'll go and they'll say, you know, how's your kids, your PKs, you know, all these things. 
And they say the kids grow up in church and they see the worst things in Christians and they see the worst things in church. And when they grow up, the first thing they want to do is leave all this bitterness and leave all this hatefulness and leave all this meanness and leave all these, these Grinches in church that just want to make everything so, so mean and hateful. And they leave the church and they leave God because deep down they have a bitter heart towards the church. It happens all the time. They've had a bad experience in church and it turns them away from God. They develop a bitter heart deep down and you don't want that. Don't walk away from God because you had a bad experience in church. Don't let your heart become bitter towards God. God has not done anything mean to you. He's given you so many gracious things. Be careful with your heart. You don't want to develop a bitter heart. A bitter heart has destroyed many in the church. How many have you seen? They may stay in the church, they may leave the church, but deep down they have a heart that is so bitter. And it says here that those kind of people, I've got to guard my own heart. Because I don't become bitter. Guard yours. Guard my children. Guard your children. Life is hard. You can get bitter. Bitterness will destroy you. It'll eat away at you. It's like the Bible says it's like a canker that just eats away at your soul. So don't let that happen to you. If you want to make sure that you don't fall short of the grace of God, don't become bitter in your heart. That's the first detour on this race of life that you're in. The first road that, that, that'll get you to the end, that, that, that'll pull you away, is bitterness in the heart. And I'm holding up a warning sign to you right now. Here's the caution. Do not get bitter. You want another one? Something else to watch out for? And I think you guys know what I'm talking about. If, you, if you've not been in church very long and you're new to all this, you might not have seen it. But stick around long enough. It'll happen. It's happening to them. It happens to every, every... I mean, this, this is thousands of years ago, and it's happening there. It'll happen. You've got to guard yourself against letting circumstances, against letting people, against even letting pastors get you bitter. You've got to be careful. Don't let that happen to you. And it turns you away from Christ. Number two, the second caution. Lest any root of bitterness springs up in you. And it says here, it'll trouble you that you personally... And it'll also defile many. Let me get you. Let me say this. I didn't, I don't, this is just, this is just a sidebar for you. But a bitter heart spews poison, and the poison that comes out of their mouths will spread like a disease through the church, and will make other people just as bitter as they are. If they are angry, if they are cynical, if they are hateful, if they are mean, if they are harsh, they want everybody else around them to be just like they are. If I'm miserable, you need to be miserable. It says there, and it will defile not only you, but it will defile many. You better guard your heart from bitterness. It is the first step away from Christ. Don't let that spring up in you. Don't let that come up in you. If you see yourself starting to get bitter, you've you got to be careful. Number two, that was just an add-on there. Because it says that there. I, I didn't make that up. It'll trouble you, and there, thereby many will be defiled. Number two, lest there be... <laughs> Any fornicator. The first one is a fruit of foulness, and this is the fruit of fornication. And again, this is something that has pulled multitudes away from Christ. A bitter heart, foulness in your heart, can pull you away from Christ. Fornication or sexual immorality has pulled countless people away from Christ. There is nothing that tempts people to be, to be pulled away from Christ more than sexual temptation. This is immoral sexual, sexually. It's lust. It's adultery. This is a dangerous detour, but it's a very popular detour. There are so many people that get in the race of life, the Christian life, and they're running the race and everything's going well, and all of a sudden they see that detour, and it's a sign held up to tempt you to go the way of sexual immorality. 
to go the way of adultery, to go the way of fornication, to go the way of lust, to go the way of pornography, to go the way of, of flirtation, to go the way that you shouldn't be going. And it's something to take your attention away. It's something to take your eye away. And there's so many people that have taken that exit and went that direction and it's pulled them away from Christ. And you've got to be careful with that detour. You've got to have a caution there. You don't want to go that way. You don't want to follow that path. That path will lead you away from Christ. Don't go there. Countless people have went that way and they've left the church and they've left Christ and they've missed out on the grace of God all for sexual gratification. Be careful there. That will pull many away. It's what pulled the, the church in Corinth away. They were sleeping around in the church. I mean, married couples were, were committing adultery. The young people, teenagers, committing fornication. It was uh, rampant in the church in Corinth. And Paul said, let none of that be around you. It will pull you away from Christ. And I'll say this, it's not worth it. Teenagers. It'll happen to you. And it will pull you away from Christ. Oh, no, 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 not me. I can do that and still keep Christ. Scripture says differently. You can't. If you go that direction, it is pulling you away from Christ. You can't have it both ways. You can't be joined to a harlot and be joined to Christ. If you're going that way, you are in danger of missing out on the grace of God. Don't go that way. There's a sign. I don't want to detour to all those who are tempted in that way. Don't go that way. Oh, but nobody listens. Oh, but nobody listens. I've sit with teenagers, youth groups, begging them. Scripture is clear on this. Don't do it. And get this, it's not just teenagers, but it's pastors. How many pastors have you seen take that exit? Don't do it. It's not worth missing out on the grace of God. Don't dabble in it. Don't flirt with it. Don't sleep around. I'm just telling you the warning signs. Warning sign number one is the foul heart. Warning sign number two is fornication, adultery, lust. Don't go that way. Number three. These are all cautions. Holding up a sign. I wish I brought signs today. <laughs> You guys would be paying much more attention if I had a sign that said adultery on it. Yeah. Number three. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person. You see that? So we've had a bitter heart. We've had a fornicator. Now we have profanity. You say, what does that mean? In the Greek, the word profanity means the opposite of holy. It means not keeping things hallowed. It's treating holy things as unholy things. It's treating uncommon things as common things. It's to not esteem and not to respect things that God says are holy. Think of it this way. It's to cheapen the things that God puts great cost on. God says this is worth a lot. And we say it's not worth that much. You with me? That God esteems as holy and as uncommon and as something special and spectacular in the world. And He says it's valuable and we say it's invaluable. We profane the things that God says are holy. You say, what does this mean? It could be language. That God says that no corrupt communication should come out of our mouth. And we profane our mouths by what we say. You can tell a lot about a person's heart by what comes out of their mouth. And then when they begin spewing profanity, it's evidence of what's deep down inside of them. They have a heart that's not been changed. They have a heart that's not been regenerated. They have a heart that may not be saved. Not just language, it's using God's name. Is God's name not holy? 
Thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. It's a holy name. It's a name above all other names. And, and people in churches will begin to use God's name in a way that should not be used. You profane God's name. It's a, it's a warning sign. Don't go that way. You profane God's Word. You treat this book like it's any other book. Oh, how many Christians are doing that today? So-called Christians are ripping pages out of their Bibles because they don't want to believe what this says. They don't want to believe what that says. I don't think God said this, and I don't think God said that. Who is it that would say, has God said? It ain't God saying that. It ain't God questioning. It's Satan questioning in God's Word. You treat it as something that it's, it's not. God said this is His holy Word. His, it's not common at all. It's, it's set apart. It's different than any other book on the face of the planet. And we set it aside as God's holy Word. We don't treat it with contempt. We treat it with respect and reverence. I'll give you another one. We could profane God's house and God's day. How many people have you seen take the path of God set aside a day, God set aside a time for me to go and worship, but I'm going to treat that day just like any other day of the week. The first step away from Jesus is a step away from His bride. And how many people have been pulled away from God's people and God's house and they treat Sunday and they treat worship like any other day of the week. They profane it. They treat it as a cheap. They treat it as common. They overlook it. They treat it like it's no big deal. You better be careful if you're treating God's Word and God's house and God's people and even God's worship like it's no big deal. When God says it is a very big deal. So many have been destroyed by this one. It's subtle and it pulls many away. It's not as outlandish as adultery. Oh, that's so bad. <laughs> we know that. Or, the, or the, the sneaky one down deep in our hearts. This one, is, this one is subtle. This one pulls us away. We begin not to, not to notice His Word and not to love His Word and not to obey His Word. We begin not to go to church like we used to. And we don't want to be with His people. We don't want to serve in His church. We don't want to worship Him. And it's pulled so many away where they profane the things that God has called holy. These three things that we're to be on guard for are cautions. And if you're doing these things, you are revealing your heart. If you are profaning things, if you are fornicating, if you are a bitter in your heart, you are proving yourself to have an unsaved, unregenerate heart. And you are in danger of missing out. So we must diligently guard our hearts from this or else. I like that it gives us cautions. Things to watch for. It's not just a general statement where we say, yeah, watch yourself. It's watch for these things very carefully. Guard your heart from the foulness and the bitterness of it. Guard your body from the sexual temptation. And guard your soul profaning the things that God calls holy. And then he gives us an or else. You guys ready for this? And we'll close. The last one. We saw the, the concern of missing out. We must be concerned. The caution of missing out. And now we see the consequence of missing out. There is a great consequence if you miss out on the grace of God. Look what it says in verse, verse 16. It says, as Esau... And he gives us an example here uh, to show us the consequences because he knows a picture is worth a thousand words so we can see somebody who missed out on the grace of God. That's what you need right now. Maybe you've not been following me. Maybe you've not been with me on this. But now you get a picture. Here is a guy who missed out on the grace of God. Don't be like him. He's a guy who profaned the things that God called holy. He's a guy who committed fornication. He's a guy who had bitterness in his heart. Don't be this guy. Don't be Esau. 
Here's the consequence. Look what he says there. As Esau. This is an illustration of the consequences that can come from missing out on the grace of God. Esau's story, if you don't know Esau, I think most of you know who Esau is. I'll give you kind of an idea of who he is. His story is Genesis 25 through 27. He was the firstborn of Isaac and Rebekah. He was a twin brother of Jacob. He was the firstborn, so he was the twins. He came out first, and Jacob was, they said, was holding on to his heel. And these two boys were completely different. I like that. Esau was this hairy, he was, it says he was hairy, red-headed. I like the red-headed part, too. He was a, he, and he was a hunter. He was manly. He would kill things with his bare hands. He, I mean, he was just, he was the, the man's man. He was the firstborn. Esau was something else. If you saw him, you'd say, he's going to shake my hand and cripple my fingers, Okay. And then on the other side, you had his brother, Jacob, and he was a whiny little mama's boy that liked to stay home and cook and keep his shoes clean. That's kind of who he was. He didn't want to go outside. He didn't want to go out and do anything. He would sit there with a spoon and a big thing of soup and sit there with his mom and cook. So that's the two brothers. And, and what happened one day is Esau went out. and just kind of go through the story because it, it kind of tells it here. As Esau, he went out to hunt one day. As the firstborn, I will, he went out to hunt one day, and he came back, and he was starving to death. Literally starving to death. You know, have you ever had your kids say that to you? They ate just an hour ago, and they walk into the room, and they'll say, I'm starving to death. You just had a McDonald's Big Mac. You're not, you're not hungry. Starving, starving. Well, he came home from, from hunting one day, and he was starved to death. And he saw his brother you know, I, the Bible doesn't say that, but this is my mind how it pictures it. Sitting there in the tent, stirring the stew, you know. And he walks in, he says, <laughs> just brothers, he looked at his brother and he said, give me a thing of stew. And Jacob looked at him and said, give me your birthright. He wanted to trade. He said, what's a birthright? A birthright, the firstborn had this, a double portion of the father's inheritance. That's big. Not only did he have a double portion of, of, of the inheritance, but he had all the blessings of the father and all the responsibilities of the father. If the father died, he'd have power over the family. He'd be the priest of the family. He'd be the leader of the family. Also, the, the Messiah would come through the firstborn the first, uh, of the family. So he had all these, all this great blessing that came with He had divine favor. He had the, the grace of God in that firstborn. And Jacob wanted that. Who wouldn't want that? And Jacob said, I'll give you a bowl of soup. If you'll give me your blessing. Now, who in their right mind would, would, would trade the blessing of God? The divine favor of God. The grace of God for a bowl of soup. And Esau said, sure. Give me the stew and I'll give you my birthright. I'll sign it over to you. I'll give it to you. It's yours. Just give me that soup. <laughs> and this choice, it says here, look what it says. And as Esau, who for one morsel of meat, one meal, sold his birthright. He sold his blessing for a bowl of soup. He cared more for his physical appetite than for his spiritual life. He wanted instant gratification over eternal satisfaction. He cared more for his own things than for divine things. He had no value whatsoever for the spiritual things. For what God thought was valuable. He wanted a bowl of soup and he thought, he thought can you imagine that? He thought that a, his blessing from God and from his family was worth trading for a bowl of soup. And what he's doing here, you see this, it's showing that he has, he has a heart that is wrong. He, he's, he's profaning what God is calling holy and he missed out on the greatest blessing of his life. He missed out on the divine favor of God on him and he later would regret it with everything in him. Watch what it says in verse 16, verse 17. For you know how afterward, this is bone chilling, when he wanted it, when he would have his inheritance, the blessing. The blessing word here is the same thing as talking about the grace of God up above in, in verse 15. Comparing those things. 
when he wanted the blessing, when he would have done anything in the world to get it back, when he goes weeping to his father saying, please give me my blessing back, when he goes to his brother and says, please, I'll trade you anything in my life for this. Uh, and, and his brother's sitting there holding it. I'll give you anything. I'll give you uh, all. And he was a rich man. And he had three wives. And he had children. And he had everything in the world that you could ever have. And he would go to his brother and he could say, I'll give you all of this if you'll just give me the blessing back. Please, with weeping and with tears in his face. And he would hear the words, no, you can't have it. You had a chance and you missed it. You traded it all away for one bowl of soup. And Esau is the saddest man in the Bible. Look what it says. He was rejected and he found no place of repentance, of getting it back. Though he sought it carefully with tears in his eyes. Please let me have it. He would go to his brother, please, I'll trade you anything. To his father, please, please, I should have never traded it. To God, please, give it back. Brother, no. Father, no. God, no. You traded it away and you missed out on the blessing. You say, what is this? It's a perfect illustration of Hebrews. He could have closed this passage with Judas with Israel in the wilderness, with Cain in the garden. The Bible's full of these people that were so close and they missed out on it. They had it in their hands and they missed out on it. But here he uses Esau. Esau hadn't obtained it, but it would have been his if only he valued, if only he valued the things of God more than the things of this world. But he valued a meal over God's blessing. Oh, how heartbreaking. And it applies to the Hebrews and it applies to us. And I'm going to close. To the Hebrews here that the author's writing to, he's saying, look what you have in Christ and you want to trade it all and go back to your old way of life. You're going to trade Jesus and all the divine favor and blessings and eternal life and forgiveness of sin and all that Jesus offers and you want to trade that away. All that you have. For what? For the old Jewish system? The old law? and the old sacrifices and the old temple who in their right mind would trade that don't do it look what you have in Jesus why would you trade it for anything that the old religious way has to offer don't do it it's silly it's, it's, it's worse than trading it for a meal you're trading it for labor and hard work and you're never going to get right and your sins are never going to be forgiven don't trade it away you'll regret it You regret it. And for us, oh boy, this applies. We're not trading Christ for a meal. Nobody would do that, right? Somebody offered you, I mean, the greatest meal in the world. You name it. Big old piece of cheesecake. From the Cheesecake Factory. I'll give you this. You'll turn down Jesus. Nobody's going to do that, right? Nobody. I don't think. Or for a false religion. Nobody's going to come to you and say, I'm going to offer you Islam and Muhammad if you'll turn down Jesus. Nobody does that. They have nothing to offer us. Jesus has everything to offer us. Why would I trade that for what they have to offer? No way. You say, well, what's the application for us then? How many of us are trading God's eternal blessings Sex. You have Jesus here who fully satisfies our soul. He gives us all the blessings of the heavenly places. And you get lured away by some girl who wants to offer you a moment of gratification. Who in their right mind does that? probably somebody in here. It's worse than a meal. Or you turn away and trade Jesus and all of his blessings for college kids four years of fun. Eternal blessings for four years of fun and getting away. Who does that? Countless. For
pleasure for a paycheck. How many of us do that? I've seen it so many times. That the world offers me money and a paycheck and a job, but it pulls me away from Jesus and all the riches of His. Oh, but I can make more money. <laughs> who does that with what He offers? I mean, who would do that? But there's so many things in our life that we value that have no value compared to what Jesus has to offer us. Why would you trade it? He says, as Esau did, don't you dare do Because if you do it, and here's the main application, if you do that, if you choose earthly blessings over the eternal blessings, then you will miss out now and you will regret it for the rest of your life and all eternity. You will spend in hell. I mean, one day you may take this road and you want to go back because you think, oh, I can have Jesus anytime I want. I'll just go over here and dabble in sin. I'll go over here and have a wicked heart. I'll go over here and I'll be in fornication and adultery. I'll just do this for a little while. Well, maybe Esau thought the same thing. And when he wanted to go back and he begged to go back, God said no. You better be careful. There's not always a road back. It says here, now you've got to be careful. It says here, he would have inherited the, it says, for you know that afterward when he wanted, when he would have inherited the blessing, he was rejected. Rejected means the door was shut on him. He had no chance to come back. And he traded it all away for one single bowl of soup. What are you trading the blessings of Christ away for? What's luring you away? What's pulling you from Christ? What's saying, come to me, come this way? You better be careful because one day you'll realize you missed out on the great blessing of life and eternal life and you will regret it. You will live with regret. I, I, I feel that way. I'm, I'm, I'm hurrying, but I want you to get this. You're going to end up saying, I wish I could go back and do it all over again. I'm going to, you're going to say that. I, I had the chance. I had the opportunity. I could have. I should have. But I, I chose the wrong way. And I went the, and done things I shouldn't do and lived ways I shouldn't live. And, and I let my kids go that way. And now my kids are out in the world and they're living like hell and they're doing what they want to do. I wish I could go back. I regret it. I'm, I'm so sorry. But you can't go back. This ought to sends shivers down our spine. He couldn't get it back. And he missed out. So every time you think you're getting lured away to go away from Christ, you should remember this passage. Let Esau be the example before you. Esau sold his blessing for soup. Judas sold his Savior for 30 pieces of silver. And he went and tried to give it back, didn't he? And he went and he threw it back at him. He said, I don't want this. I shouldn't have done this. And they said, we don't want it. And he walked out and he hung himself because he found no place of repentance. You better be very, very careful. You can't just do your own thing for a little while and think I'll come back. You are in danger of missing out and you will regret it. What an amazing sermon that was. And now joining with me in the studio today is Pastor Josh Tompkins. Josh, what application can we as Christians today take away from that warning in the book of Hebrews about missing out? These passages that we've been studying in Hebrews uh, creates a tension in the Christian life. Uh, I think I've, I explained in the sermons that the, the Hebrew Christians that's being this, this letter is written to or the sermons being preached to, they were in danger of, through persecution, through trials, through tribulation, of leaving Christ, leaving their profession, of walking away and going back to the old Jewish religion. Uh, so the author here wants to create this tension, saying, don't do that. Don't walk away. Stay with Christ. He's better than anything you 
you'll ever go back to. So every one of these sermons creates that tension of you better not walk away. You better not in this sermon miss out on Christ. And what he's saying here is that, and this, this is extreme language, that if you walk away, you might not be able to come back. If you go so far, it, it, it might be impossible for you to return. So you need to be very careful with that. And I know there's a lot of questions that can be thrown around with that, a lot of doctrinal, theological things. I know I answered them in the sermon, but that, that's an application for all of us. That's think maybe, okay, I'm saved. I can do whatever I want to do. I can walk away. I can live how I want to live and come back and do whatever I want to do. It says here in this passage, you need to be careful that you don't go too far where you can never come back. Thanks. And again, that's Pastor Josh Tompkins from West End Baptist Church. And we want to remind our listeners that we love hearing from you. So if you have biblical questions that you'd like to have them answered, please send them to us by logging onto our website at www.westendbsg.org and leave them there. Also search our website for a complete list of our outreach ministries and church services. And be sure to look for us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching at West End Baptist Church. Church. Thanks for listening and we hope you'll join us again next time.